Hi there, I'm Jen Blandos, the founder of Female Fusion. I've been an entrepreneur for over 20 years with experience in building seven-figure businesses and working around the world. Originally, I'm from Canada, but I've been living in Dubai for the past 14 years. I've created this podcast to share my insights and expertise as a global entrepreneur and help other women start, build, grow, and scale their businesses. You'll also hear from some of the world's top experts and female entrepreneurs who will inspire and motivate you to achieve your business goals. So join me as we explore all that the world has to offer and build the business of your dreams. Let's get started. Hello, Jen Blandos here, and welcome to another edition of Women on the Rise, Female Fusions podcast. And today I am so excited. This is the the big interview that I have always wanted to do. I've had two big interviews that I've wanted to do on this podcast. One was interviewing Eva, my daughter, which was amazing. And the second incredible woman that I have been trying, even since I had a concept in my mind of this podcast, is um, Heather Henyon, who is the founder of MindShift Capital. And I've managed to get a bit of her time today in the studio to talk all about investment and all of the great work that she's doing. Welcome, Heather. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to have you. And what I'd love for you to do is just tell everybody a little bit about you, your background, and about MindShift Capital. Yeah, sure. So I'm from the U.S. originally. I've been living in Dubai and in the region for many years, uh, 14 years, 15 years, and um, have been involved in investing in women probably really for the last decade when I started the first women's angel investor group in Dubai called Wayne, uh, Women's Angel Investor Network, or WAIN. And then that was kind of the um, segue into Mindshift Capital, which I started in 2020. And we just did our funds final closing this past year. Wow. And so Mindshift, the thing that's really special about Mindshift in this region is it's a gender lens VC fund. What I would like to do, just so we're clear for everybody listening, can you explain to everybody what it means if your fund is a gender lens VC fund? Yeah, sure. So um, so gender lens venture capital kind of came into, I guess, existence or definition probably back in 2017. Suzanne Beagle, who's the founder of Gender Smart Investment, she's based in London, she came up with the term, and it's really about how do we create a screen for gender? So just like you would think about something like, you know, there's socially responsible investment, there's Islamic investment, where they use either a um, Sharia compliant screen, uh, SRI uses impact as a screen, however it's defined. We use gender as a screen. <clears throat> and that means really, there are lots of different ways you can define that. I mean, ours, I think, is one of the strongest screens because we only invest in companies where there's at least one female founder or co-founder, but it can be all across the board, you know, down to even, do you have a majority employees who are women? Are you targeting companies where they've got products that are focused on women? So lots of different, is there a woman on the board? Um, but I think for us as MindShift, uh, our gender screen is considered to be quite strong. So there are different variations of it, but I think our screen is, um, is very uh, unique. That's amazing. And it, so you started this in 2017. 
What inspired? Uh, twenty twenty. Sorry, twenty twenty. Mind shift was in twenty twenty. So what inspired you to do this? Well, so I actually was on a plane back from San Francisco. I had just been at an Angel Capital Association summit, and this was you know a couple years before. And I just kept thinking, you know, we've we, I just gone to a session on unconscious bias. Um, I'd heard from the founders of the Kapoor Fund, which created this fund targeting underrepresented founders. And uh, you're probably aware, but very little capital goes to women. So less than two percent in the U.S probably 0.5% in the Middle East, it, and it's yeah. 1% in Sweden, which we consider to be kind of the, you know, the like, most Leaders progressive. in gender, right? Yeah, gender parity, but it's still, I mean, and so I think our feeling and my feeling is there are just very few women who are investing. So, and it's not so much about, you know, the, I think, angel investing, which we also need to focus on, and that's been a big focus. And I think there has been a lot of progress over the years in that. But what we find from the companies that we've been investing in, I myself invested now in over 200 early stage technology companies across the US, Europe, and Middle East, and about 60% of my portfolio has been women-led. And you know, I just see over and over again that they can the female founders can raise kind of a seed round or an angel round, but getting that next level of institutional capital is really challenging. Yeah, and that's, oh, I mean, this is a whole other conversation <laughs> and a whole other podcast, isn't it? Just about um, why we're not getting the funding and, yeah. and the investment. And it's it, it's shocking, right? You know, that we're pretty much 50% of the founders, 50% of the population, yeah. but we're not getting that investment. Um, one of the things, and I know that you and I have spoken about this a lot too, and I also speak to members in Female Fusion about this, is that there's also a whole component about being investment ready, right? Mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. for businesses that they need to be ready. When you're looking to invest in businesses, what is the primary criteria that you're looking for? Well, I mean, so we start with the gender lens, but then we also get this question a lot, you know, how are you different than other VCs? And I say, or venture capital funds, we're not. I mean, we're looking for the same things that everyone else is looking for, male, conventional, however you label it. Um, So we're really looking for world-class companies that can build and scale and get us a 10x return in kind of the next three to five years. So that means if you're valued at, let's say, $5 million today, when we invest, we're looking for an exit at $50 million. Right. Okay. Um, but you know, beyond that, we're looking, I mean, we're early stage investors, so we're really looking for great founders, great teams. Uh, we know the business is going to kind of pivot and change as, as it gets more traction, but um, addressable market has to be large, uh, scalability, focus on some point of financial sustainability at some point, so not kind of growth at any cost. You know, we're not big fans of sort of the WeWork models and the SoftBank models, but I mean, we're looking for, I would say, the same things that everyone else is beyond the gender lens. So that's just the the way that we create our funnel. Okay. And do you, um, when you you speak with female entrepreneurs who are maybe looking for funding, Mm -hmm. what advice would you give to them to be to be able to secure that funding? Well, I think part of it is, you know, be be okay with rejection. Um, you know, we as women and I have the same problem. Like it was really hard for me to be rejected when I was fundraising for Mindshift. We take it quite personally. So yeah. I think 
I think, you know, go out, get the nose and just move on. You know, guys, I think really it's a more transactional sort of <laughs> relationship. So uh, so men don't take it as personally. So they're they're able to go out, you know, fundraise, talk to lots of different investors. But I think, you know, it's, it's OK. It's not it's just it's you've got to find your backers. You've got to find the people who are the investors who are going to be your champions and sometimes it just takes more time than you'd like. Um, but it's just getting the right people is more important than just getting money. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to dive into that as well. But one thing I find interesting sometimes, I have businesses that will say to me, they'll be like, oh, do you know an angel investor? Do you know a VC? I need funding mm-hmm. for my business. And, you know, I need it within like the next month or so. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Okay, wait. <laughs> you probably can't even get a bank loan in a right. month. That there needs to be that it takes that, time. It takes time, right? Yeah. How long does it normally take? Like if you're at the point where you go, Okay, for me to scale I need funding. I need to get mm-hmm. that investment in in my business. How long would that go from you deciding to do that to actually securing investment, how long does mm-hmm. that take normally? Well, I always say it's the same time it takes to have a baby, so it's nine months. So it's <laughs> <laughs> so, and this I see this a lot. I don't see it as much with the women. I have to say, I see it more with the guys. But um, I think you know, again, you've got to, you've also got to do it uh, in a way that takes the the calendar into effect, right? So, yeah. like, don't start fundraising in the summer. You know, everyone's kind of, you know, got, gone into beach mindset. End of the year is also really bad because people are just trying to wrap up the year. They've got right. the holidays. Um, so the, a good time to start is probably January. You know, in the UAE and in the Middle East, we have also Ramadan that we've got to take into yeah. effect. So you've just got to get the cycles right. Okay. Um, and don't, you know, make sure you've got enough um, runway, we call it, which is the cash in the, the bank. The working capital to run your business, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, don't start raising when you've only got one month left of cash, right? So <laughs> because you're not going to get money in and you're probably going to get squeezed also on pricing, which is something I see hap- that happens a lot to women. women. And there's a lot of data showing this, that women just raise less capital. It takes them longer. Uh, and also they get lower pricing than the guys. Wow. Oh, I mean, that that in itself is so much work that needs to be done on that. Yeah. But do do you find like one thing um, that I find surprising, like I've I've been a, an entrepreneur for over 20 years. So one of the things that I've gotten really good at is systems mm-hmm. and, you know, processes within my business. And I find it really interesting, even when I meet some of the bigger businesses, whether they're female-owned or male-owned, how many people have businesses that don't have those systems behind what they're running? Like, they're right. they're successful, they have a product or a service that people want to buy, but actually it's quite messy behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Does that um, does that come into play? Like, is uh, do you have a certain expectation when you invest in a business that they need to have certain systems and processes mm-hmm. in place? Yeah, first? yeah, definitely. Because as investors, we want to make sure that that our money is going to be used uh, in an accountable way. So, when we do our due diligence, we're looking at things like uh, what are the legals look like. Um, we talk a lot about the capitalization table. So, how much of the company do, do the founders still own? How much have they sold off? We find that a lot with women, where sometimes they sell off too much too early. So then we say it's, we call it a flawed capital structure that makes it uninvestable for people like us. Um, Yeah, and we just, we also want to know what is governance like. I think one of the best things that founders can do is just reporting. So 
even if you're just sending out like a monthly investor update, it doesn't have to be long, but just a few bullet points and send it by the way to uh, investor prospects. Don't just send it to your current investors, but think about how do we get you know more of these investors in the loop and you know relationship building, especially with investment, it takes time. So I tell entrepreneurs this a lot, you know, start, even if you're not looking to raise capital right now, if you think, okay, it's gonna be kind of one, two years yeah. out, start building those relationships, go to events, network, uh, schedule a call, try to have a coffee, just find ways that you can figure out who the right investors are and get to know them early. Yeah. Um, I mean, because we like to see entrepreneurs in different different formats before we invest. So we've got the investment summit on Wednesday where we'll yeah. see the companies who are presenting and pitching. But beyond that, you know, we might then see them speak at a conference. We might also have a coffee. You know, they're just different things we like to see because we like to see how they they act in different settings. And it's and almost I, like people skills in a sense, yeah. right? Interviews. I guess, <laughs> I guess also as well, like how they evolve as a business too, because mm-hmm. this is not something where you're going to meet them <clears throat> and one month later, as we said, give them investment that right. you're hoping to, that you're going to see the business is scaling and growing and mm-hmm. the founder is growing because as we get more experience, we become better at running our businesses. Yeah, and we also want to see that they do what they say they're going to do. So like, so for example, one of our companies in Singapore, Shiok Meats, so we've now got 14 companies in our portfolio for this fund. And this company, they were in YC, um, Youth Combinator in San Francisco. I learned about them there, a two female stem cell scientists who started this company doing cell-based meat, uh, targeting the Asian market. And yeah, just reached out to the founder and CEO, Sandia, on um, on LinkedIn, then invited her to come present to our MindShift investors at one of our investor events. Uh, And then one of our partners was in Singapore, spent time with her and the team, went to visit the lab, and after that we invested. So that was probably over a period of sort of 18, 24 months where we were just watching, learning about the business, getting to know her, getting to know the team, to the point now where we've invested in two funding rounds and I've I've also just joined the board of directors recently. So there's an evolution of time. I mean, it's like all of these things and I think that's why getting the right investors in your business really is important because it's like a marriage, right? Like you're gonna be in this thing for a long time and you wanna make sure that when you bring these investors in, they're going to spend the time, you know, working with you in the business and and also just helping you. I mean, especially as early stage investors, we spend a lot of time supporting the founders. So whether we're on boards or not, you know, we're really helping them make introductions helping them expand into other markets, connecting them, helping with fundraising when they're raising rounds, sales um, channels we do a lot of as well. So um, introducing them to our own entrepreneurs and founders and our own network, our own investors, inviting them to events. So there's a lot that goes into the whole relationship. So you need the ones that are going to to love your business as much (laughs) as you do, right? Yeah, and I also think it's chemistry, and this is yeah. part of why I do think having more female investors will, I mean, our, our my core reason for starting MindShift was if we've got more investors who are women, because right now only uh, in the U.S., only 8% of the partners at VC funds are female, and only 2% of the founding partners are female. Wow. So if we get more investors who are women, that, you know, to me, will help the other side of the table yeah. change, where the entrepreneurs will 
also get capital. And, you know, I mean, I think, again, as women, we understand the kinds of businesses that they're building. You know, we're often customers of those companies and those products. So we're, you know, we're able to kind of grow with them. And I think that that's, and also in the relationship, right? Like, it really has to be organic. So it has to be, this is something I've learned, I think, the hard way where, Sometimes you'll see founders and you're like, oh, wow, that person's really interesting. They're awesome, but they're also crazy. You know, so, so it's <laughs> no, like, you can't have crazy in business. Yeah. And then you're, you're like, wait a minute, I've got to now work with this person. And, you know, wait, they're not answering my messages. They don't respond. I don't know where they are. So um, so you realize you also need to to get the right people, the right relationships that work for you, I think, on both sides. I mean, as investors were doing our due diligence, I think entrepreneurs also need to do their due diligence on investors because it's not one-sided. I mean, really the way I think of it is we're partners in the whole journey to build and grow the business. Well, and you're looking, as you said as well, at like a three to five year. Yeah. Or in in reality, it's really much longer, right? Like our first Wayne investment, it's now, uh, we invested in 2014. It's a regional ed tech company. And I mean, it's been almost 10 years, right? So uh, so for venture capital, it's a little bit shorter, but I would say, let's say, I mean, our fund is 10 years. So we want to exit within that time period. Yeah. Often funds get extended, so maybe it's more like 12 years, um, hopefully not 15 years, <laughs> which is what the average is in the US, but wow. I'm hoping that's not us. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really long-term relationship and yeah. you go through a lot together, so. And, okay, so going going back to a few things. Um, okay, one, we don't have enough female investors. Mm-hmm. That's just anywhere, yeah. anywhere yeah, in, the, in world. the world. Yeah. So how do we get more mm-hmm. women investing? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. I think um, we're seeing more younger women get into, I would say, angel investing. Uh, we see s- more small funds. I think we're still missing the uh, the larger funds that can really, you know, really deploy. Uh, decent amounts of capital to to uh, to entrepreneurs and to women, um, so I, I think it's a long journey. Um, but just getting there, there is this whole transfer of wealth that's happening now. I think that yeah. we're just sort of at the beginning of, and again, the numbers show that the majority of the the people who will receive the wealth at the next generation, at kind of the Gen X, are women. So those women now have an opportunity, I think, to invest in the things that they care about in the world, whether it's women, climate change, youth, uh, care economy, all of these things that I think, you know, I I see women just gravitate towards because for us, business is quite personal. And a lot of the things that we want to do have to do with something that we've experienced personally. Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I see <clears throat> that in female fusion that I would say so many of our businesses and like amazing businesses, but so many of the businesses have been created to solve a problem mm-hmm. or because they face something or because they believe in something like whether it's the environment or children or an illness. And it's so cool to see that they're they're making that into a business as well. But I mean, I've seen this and I would love to have your perspective as well about the the kind of the difference between male investors and female investors. Mm-hmm. Um, what what are you seeing as the main differences? Yeah, I mean it's interesting because I've been now parts of um, a part of maybe five different funds. Um, some that are predominantly male, some that are predominantly women, and 
I think as investors and it's so interesting to me because for the women I think we just we overdo it on the due diligence you know we like to get lots of information we want perfect information which you just never have in an early stage business and do you so a question just before you move on if you say that we overdo the due diligence. Mm-hmm. If we're overdoing the due diligence, does that mean that potentially we miss out on opportunities then? I think we just don't make decisions fast enough. And so if you think about time as being a finite resource, yeah. uh, we, we we do miss deals, I think, at times. But I think also we just, it's not necessary, right? So we're kind of wasting time that we don't need to because, again, and a lot of this is gut, right? Like yeah. you and I have talked about this, but just... The more experience you get, the more information you have Intuition. and life experience. Yeah, it's just you. Yeah. your gut actually gets stronger and stronger. So trusting it and feeling self-confident in your decision making, I think, is really critical as a woman, both you know as a business person, but also as an investor. Mm. Um, yeah. And the men, I think it's more. It's it's more testosterone driven in terms of <laughs> investment. So there's actually been there's this really interesting study that this Swedish professor did on this, and I I was in um, in Stockholm and she and met her and you know it's basically this apparently it's even like a subset of testosterone that only men have. I forgot the name of the hormone, but basically it's what um, helps men in war gambling and then apparently um, drugs as well so it's like these <laughs> these industries that you know you don't see you don't hear about a female drug lord right no, so it's sort of running you. a drug cartel so it's like or I mean casinos and gambling I think a lot of it is very male focused right yeah. so um, so I think sometimes it's like but that goes down to risk right yeah. Well, so that that was her point that you know people will say and the the narrative is that women are risk averse. I actually I, I just heard this term recently. Women are risk astute. So it's not that we're not willing to take risk; it's that we take the right risk, which yeah. I think is true. I mean, I do think. No, I agree with you. I as think well. um, a lot of the men just get overextended, right? I mean, so or I mean, I you know, I worked in microfinance for ten years, and I would see this a lot in the the micro entrepreneurs who we were working with where you know the reason that women are the target for micro lending is because they pay back the loans you know 99% plus of the time the men pay back 67% of the time of course this is over like 30 years of longitudinal data that even Muhammad Yunus collected back in Bangladesh when he started this whole thing so people think historically microfinance is about you know, economic empowerment for women. It's just women have been a better credit bet. They're more yeah. credit worthy. Um, but I guess as well, I don't know if you find this, that I will never extend myself so much mm-hmm. that I would lose everything. Yeah. And the reason why, I guess, is maybe because I'm a mother and I'm always thinking right. I have to feed my kids. I need to have some place to live mm-hmm. and I need to send them to school. Mm-hmm. And so my risks are always, I will, You include that into your whole risk assessment. Absolutely. It's not just about you. It's about your family, your children. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess even as well from a business point of view that also even when it comes to business decisions, I think about the employees that Mm -hmm. risk will only go so far Mm -hmm. so long as it doesn't hurt um, the running of the business, that Mm -hmm. I would never make a decision that if it didn't play off. Your customers. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's lots of like psychological <laughs> research yeah. in this, but I do think, I do think, I mean, that's why I often say that 
women are just really good business builders because when you think about the life cycle of a business, it's not a short-term flip, right? It's a long-term proposition. So women have historically been family builders, community builders. So of course, they're also really strong business builders. Yeah. Well, I guess that's true, right? Because I've had businesses for over 20 years and Mm -hmm. always for quite a long time. And I don't think I could go into something build it for like a year or two years and flip it because there's so much of you that that's in that and that Mm -hmm. care and that love like even with with female fusion I've gone into that for for the long term because I want it to make Mm -hmm. a difference yeah um which is and I, I think, by the way, that's why we don't see as many exits by women, which is a bit of a challenge with venture because True. women become almost too beholden to the business and they don't want to let go of it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, gosh, that's a whole other yeah. discussion. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, OK, so you one one of the things as well is you travel all over the world. You meet all sorts of different people. Um, but some some people, and you and I have talked about this, that some people kind of look down on gender lens investing mm-hmm. or say pretty stupid things. <laughs> um, and it's not that we're saying that there's anything wrong with men. You know, there are our husbands, mm-hmm. our sons, our brothers, our fathers, and we want to work with men, but there's this inequality still. Yeah. Um, what are kind of some of the dumbest things that you have people say to you? Well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time, especially because the allocators, which are the investors in a fund like MindShift, often it's predominantly men who I'm talking to. And so there's a lot of, I would say, education that's got to be done to, to help them to understand the opportunity. Again, if you think about it as kind of, we call it the arbitrage opportunity, where if only 2% of the money is going to this, to women, this, you know, let's say emerging asset class, but the pipeline and the opportunity is much bigger, whether it's tw- women are, let's say 20 to 40% of the pipeline of founders you can back, there's a big spread, yeah. right? So as an investor, you want to look for these low-hanging opportunities. So why wouldn't you focus on them? Forget about, you know, impact and and getting women, you know, capital to women, just think about the financial opportunity there, right? And especially if you're one of the few doing it and who's got a proven track record, which we have through our, you know, years of doing this with angel investing and and as operators and all of that, right? Um, so, I mean, some of the dumb things I hear, you know, just, well, the number one objection is always pipeline. Are there enough women to invest in? So when it's yes, like, there are. oh, there are three and a half billion women in the world, right? Yeah. And, you know, and there will be soon five billion, we're 50% of the population. Um, and, and then, you know, there's just, I think there's just a natural reaction that's kind of like, it's off-putting because... I mean, recently I was at an investor event and there was a man there, you know, we were at a networking reception and there were a few different investors there. And, and this man just, you know, we were going around the cocktail table and saying what we invest in. And this man just said, I invest in companies where there's at least one male founder or co-founder. 
and oh, I and I looked gross. at him and I just said, "Are you, <laughs> are you joking?" Gross. And he's like, "Can you imagine if I went around the world and just said that to people? You know how how much crap I would get?" I said, "Yeah, but that's really what you're doing, right? I mean, there when there there just aren't that many examples of um, women-led companies that, especially all male VCs have or fund managers have invested in. So I mean, that's I think there's just a naturally defensive." Reaction. I mean, I think also on the flip coin, 70% of our investors for MindShift are women, but 70% uh, of the capital is coming from men uh, as wow. investors. So there are lots of guys who get it, and we're really fortunate to have people backing us like Fadi Gandur, uh, the founder of Aramex, and a prominent a prominent uh, investor in the region. Yeah, he's amazing supporting women. Isn't yeah, he? and yeah. we've got also Madasar Sheka, who's the founder of Karim, and CEO of Karim. Um, we've got Amr Rahman, who's the uh, founder, one of the founders of Fajr Capital, and is a professor at Columbia Business School. So. Uh, we've got lots of I'd say enlightened men who get it and get yeah. the opportunity, um, but we just we need more of them. Yeah, and it's you know women-owned businesses perform better. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. This I mean, there's been so much data around this. We, we're, the women-owned businesses outperform in terms of revenue. The valuation is is much more um, rational, and then they're capital efficient. So times like these, when we've got you know kind of recessions happening. They figure out ways to to spend less and do more. We're resourceful. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we are. I mean, often you know because we're also like running businesses, running households, doing all of this mm. sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. You just become resourceful with how you're going to spend your money, and you're right. always going to find ways to make money, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And cut back. You know, I mean, a lot of yeah. times women will stop paying themselves. You know, they'll figure out ways to get things for free. So it's. I think you know it's it's really important because we've seen lots of examples in the last couple of years where, you know, the cash gets blown through really fast and yeah. then there's nothing left. I mean, I do think it's important um, that we have to pay ourselves. And yeah, I think, yeah, I agree. You know, women sometimes the first thing that will cut will always be our salaries, and of course, mm -hmm. you know, you have to pay your people first. You have to pay your suppliers, but yeah. we also need to make paying ourselves a priority, priority. too. Yeah. Um, and I know so many female business owners that don't, and that's one of the big things where I'm like, pay yourself a salary. You mm -hmm. need to have a salary. Mm -hmm. And I guess yeah. as well that when you're looking at businesses, you want to see that the founder is paying themselves, mm -hmm. not a ridiculous salary, right. but... Uh, no, we want them to be, well, one, taken care of. We don't want you know founders to be worried about paying rent or mortgage and keeping yeah. the lights on um, and you know neglecting their families or... Yeah. their needs but i think also we we want to know what the what's the true cost of running the business so if the founder yeah. uh, moves to a different role and we need to hire a ceo how much is it going to cost to hire that person absolutely um what one other area i want to dive into with you is tech mm -hmm. um because uh, you and i have had this conversation about the businesses that you invest in. And one of the criteria that you have is that they have to have some form of tech. Um, why Why is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, in today's world where everything is mobile-enabled, tech-enabled, it's just really important for all businesses to be thinking about that, especially when it comes to reaching customers. Um, I think you look at the last... Now, what two generations of digital natives? 
So, and, you know, we talk about it with our kids that they're just always connected. They're online, the internet. too much. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And, um, but, uh, yeah, so I think, you know, that's just the reality of the life that we live in. But the other side of it is in venture, we're looking at kind of what we say is the, the hockey stick growth. Yeah. So you can really only scale certain things in your business. You can't scale yourself. You know, you it's people are difficult. So the idea when you've got technology, you know, once you've kind of um, gotten it to a point where it's it's ready or strong, yeah. you can scale that and you can grow into other markets. You can um, kind of have this exponential growth through customers, and that's where the real real. Uh, opportunity comes in. Mm. And I guess as well, even if you're not looking for investment, that it makes good business sense to have tech within your Mm -hmm. business. Yeah. And I'm constantly saying this to the founders that we have in Female Fusion as well, that even if you're a product-based business, Mm -hmm. you need to have, you need to build tech into your business because it's going to save you time. It's right. going to save you money. It's going to make things more Easier, efficient. Streamlined. Yeah, yeah, streamlined. And also as well, like I even see um, for Female Fusion that we're very, very tech focused and always looking at how we can automate and do things. And mm-hmm. we've gotten it to a point as well where so much of what we do just runs itself. And that makes it really easy that even if we're not physically in the business doing things every single day, that mm-hmm. that tech is running itself, mm-hmm. which is beautiful because it makes it easier to scale your business that way. Yeah, yeah. And it, it also, there's less risk, right? Like, yeah. so if something, we talk about key person risk, if something happens to you or to me, you know, the, the business can still function and run. Yeah. and. It's not so dependent on the actual people, but then it's more about the systems that you've put in place. Yeah, and that's, um, I guess as well, if you're looking for investment, that Mm -hmm. the business can't just be you, that it needs to, tech will play a big role in that as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, You have some really cool businesses that um, that you've invested in. Can you maybe, share one or two success stories so some of those really cool companies and what they're doing mm-hmm. and what what we can see from them so we we focus on what we call the rise of the zillennial so gen z millennial next gen values that are more focused on things like sustainability uh, longevity uh, just you know very different than the previous generations you find more vegetarians they're more aware of their health issues and especially you know we saw all of that just accelerate during COVID and so certain business models are really being disrupted especially in certain sectors so because of that we're focused on food tech fintech ed tech and health and wellness tech Mm -hmm. I would say about half our portfolio now is kind of health and wellness focused just because of all the opportunities that we see whether it's women's health um, preventative medicine just uh, mental health is a big need right now, given the whole, I think, you know, so many factors in our modern day society. Um, one of the companies we've backed is a company called Rebel Girls, and uh, it's a girl empowerment brand um, focused on kind of ages 7 through 11. Started with these two Italian women who were just writing stories about women. So kind of in, in all countries, in all markets, we don't have enough of the stories of the women in history who have been yeah. the, the real like champions or leaders. It's just we're just left out over the in, in all the classrooms. So they started just writing first kind of what they called bedtime stories. Um, 
but then started going to different thematics. So there's you know, women entrepreneurs, women uh, environmentalists, women in sports, women in music, just all of these different areas. So we, we invested in the company, I think in 20, 2021, and um, and they've also now got an omni-channel platform. So they've gone you know, to the conversation before. They've gone into podcasts, yeah, um, audiobooks. They've got YouTube, all of those things. And they're in different languages as well, right? Yeah. So they're um, so they were when we invested, they were in forty nine languages, but not in Arabic, which we were just shocked by, given yeah. that it's a language spoken by the you know the fifth most commonly spoken language. Um, so we actually just recently helped them uh, sign a deal with the Kalimat Group in Sharjah in the Emirates, where they're they're going to uh, publish two of the books in Arabic, and then also one of our other portfolio companies, Little Thinking Minds. They're an ed tech that focuses on Arabic literacy for kids and through selling into schools. Okay, they've got now I think five hundred thousand users on their platform, five hundred schools across the region. So they've actually signed a deal with a partnership with them where they're uh, publishing and digitalizing and translating 10 of their stories into Arabic. Wow. So, yeah. And I guess that's what, what I love about this as well is that the businesses that you're investing in are just making such an impact on mm. the world, right? It's not just something which is there to, to make lots of money, that it's actually adding value and making an impact, which is... Mm-hmm which I think we as women really focus on, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we, we are careful about what we, how we position MindShift because yeah. we, I think this happens a lot where, especially sort of mainstream business and investment, you know, we get kind of pigeonholed into, oh, you're just women, you're charity, oh. handouts, you know, all yeah. of that. but. Trying to show that actually these are these are you know financially profitable businesses and really great opportunities. Uh, when we did our first audit for MindShift, it, we were at forty eight percent IRR, which wow. is like you know unheard of what, this early in a fund. Indus- what's the industry average? Just like industry the- average, like it depends. But in Mina, I would say at that stage five percent. Wow. Um, so we're outperforming, uh, and we are we're, we're diversified. You know, we're half our portfolios in the U.S., half is in uh, UAE, Jordan, Turkey, and Singapore. So, and that was all intentionally. We wanted yeah. to have a balanced portfolio, which is if you get into things like fund construction, that's how you make money. Yeah. So again, having the financial knowledge, experience, but also the entrepreneurial part of doing this, I think, is is pretty unique. Wow, that's so cool. Um, I, w- I want to wrap things up. This conversation, gosh, we're going to have to do a part two another time <laughs> when I can pin you down because I know you're so busy all the time. I'm grateful just to have this time from you. Um, but last question. If we look ahead to the next like 20 to 30 years, so when this generation becomes our age, mm-hmm. What do you think the environment is going to look like for female-owned businesses? And also, I guess, as well, their ability to secure investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I hope it looks really different than um, than it does now, because right now it's pretty dismal. But yeah. uh, I think, again, you know, it's, it's this idea of, like, you can't be what you can't see. So the more role models that we get in either, you know, businesses where we've got women entrepreneurs, whose stories we hear about, we're we're aware of, and then also on the other side, the investors. So if 
you know, we get into the cycle where then we start making lots of money and we can deploy more of the, that funding to basically scale and grow and reach more and more women entrepreneurs. I think, you know, in, in 20, 30 years, it might not look drastically different, but I do hope that there's a, a different mindset and a mind shift <laughs> yeah. when, when uh, we get there. Um, and I think, again, you know, this, the generation of our children, they're just, they don't want to waste time, right? They don't want to sit in some boring corporate job just doing FaceTime when they could, you know, they understand, especially having gone through COVID and watching all of the you know, people getting sick, um, losing people, all of that. I think they really appreciate time in a way that previous generations didn't. Yeah. And it's, it's, they think of it as being more fragile. So for them, doing things that are meaningful with their lives is going to be very important. And I think that some funds like MindShift, Female fusion. We get. We are building that platform for the future. Yeah, and I, I, I just, I love this generation. I love the generation of our kids because they're just so kind and caring mm. and see the importance of equality. Both, mm-hmm. you know, you talk to boys and girls, right? And see the Sexual importance. fluidity. I mean, just even the definitions and the labels are very yeah. different, right? So, and it's that much more open. Yeah, and I absolutely love that, and I hope that. Well, I hope that all the work that you're doing and the work that we're doing just makes a difference, that it is going to be totally different, that it isn't going to be the constant battle about, you know, women are getting 2% funding, 0.1% if it's in the MENA region. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully that's not going to happen. But Heather, keep doing everything that you're doing. You are just, you are a trailblazer not only in this region, but you know, in North America, in the world for, for what you're doing. And thank you for, for everything that you're doing for women. I feel so grateful to, to know you and I've known you for, for so many years. And I'm just in awe of the, the vision and the strength and the passion that you have for this, that you're just, you're doing so much. So thank you so much for, for your time today and just for being you. Oh, thank you, Jen. That's really sweet. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you also to, to you for everything that you're doing and building. So Aww. we'll have to have a podcast hug. Well, yeah, I was going <laughs> to say we'll hug now. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you to everybody who's listening. And I guarantee you I'm going to be doing more with Heather because there's <laughs> there's so many more things that I want to talk about. But Heather, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. If you'd like to get on top of the numbers in your business, why not download Female Fusion's SME dashboard? It's the tool that we use to track our progress in the business month on month, and it helps us take the right business decisions in Female Fusion. You can download it on femalefusionnetwork.com forward slash SME dashboard, or you can find the link in the show notes.